Six years ago, Ellis Hammond's entire mission changed. He was a full-time college pastor with vision and passion, but broke. Now a full-time real estate entrepreneur, Ellis is the founder of Kingdom Real Estate Investors, the number one community for faith-driven leaders impacting the world through real estate investing. If you're a kingdom-minded real estate investor or entrepreneur seeking to advance God's kingdom outside the church walls, welcome to the Kingdom REI podcast, where Ellis interviews Christian entrepreneurs and investors focused on advancing God's kingdom through real estate investing. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Kingdom Real Estate Investors Podcast. Man, I, I, we are like, I, I feel like this is got to be the top show on the internet. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, we've, we've had so many good shows today, Cameron. Like, we typically record in batches, and I'm just like, they keep getting better for the type of guests we keep showing up with, man, who uh, are really serious about helping Christian business owners grow and scale their business and have a bigger impact. Would you agree? Of course. Yeah, I mean, it's been a good day of recording. I mean, no, no question. I'm, I'm pretty jazzed up about it. Yeah, I mean, like you know, you would typically be tired at four o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like energized, and I, you know, even this pre-show with, with Alex, I'm gonna introduce you guys to here in a minute. Anyways, I, I say that not in in a boastful way, but to be like, hey, I, I just want our audience to know, like, there are so many increasing, there are so many amazing, incredible assets in and for the kingdom around business that I hope like you're leaning in. Right. Like there's a lot of people who want um, to help you, who want to serve you, who want to come alongside you and want to do that in a way that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that is based upon biblical truths. And uh, so lean in here. And, and this show is going to be no different from that. Got my man Alex uh, on the show here. I'm excited to introduce you to him. He is the culture king in terms of helping businesses, especially medium to uh, larger size businesses, build an amazing culture to help grow and scale their company and do that from from biblical truths and biblical foundations. So Alex, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much, Ellis. I'm happy to be here and uh, you raised the bar really high. So I'm going to try to live up to that <laughs> reputation. So let's do it. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, man. You got two shows before you roll that were just bangers. So you know, you better Let's bring go. it. To I'm gonna bring hey, it. Which, how do I say your last name? That's why I didn't say it. it oh, it's pronounced Caesar, like the salad and the pizza. Mm, I love you now, my friend. Let's go. Yeah, like king. Mm. I think you should king like pizza, not the salad. Yeah, Augustus, Julius, whichever one of those guys. <laughs> you caught. You kind of. You know, we were like, what should we talk? About? You know, we had so many things we were going to talk about. But the thing that really caught my my attention was like you said, you played at A and M during the the Manziel days, the Johnny uh -huh. Manziel days. Before we actually talk about anything that probably helpful <laughs> uh, business owners, like I'm really curious on what like talk to me about that man. That was pretty cool. Very interesting backstory on how I arrived at A and M. I was essentially a no name, no star guy. I uh, was hurt every single year during my high school career. They had a traveling camp. It was the last year they could have those types of camps. A&M uh, actually had a school cancel on them. They called my head coach and said, hey, we need to have a camp close to the, the border of Louisiana and Texas. Can we use your school? Who turns down the head football coach at A&M? He said, absolutely. They show up to my school. I wasn't even going to go to the camp, to be honest. My dad was like, hey, give it one more shot. And I showed up to the camp. I ran a 40 yard dash. I started the coach's head start to turn. How fast? So that day I ran four threes on grass. I ran four two that summer. Um, the crazy kind of iconic story is that the grass was not cut. So the grass was probably about eight inches high. 
Um, the closest time, and there, there were guys that are playing NFL football right now at that camp. I think the closest time next to mine was probably four six that day, wow. four six. So it was like really eye opening and head turning. And I see the head coach uh, Kevin Summon start to walk over, and the guy who timed me was the running backs coach, and he's like, I don't know if like I messed up. So coach shuts the camp down, calls every coach on the staff over, and they all time me at the same time. Boom, blaze it again. From there, it was crazy. I played running back my whole life. They end up talking to my principal and superintendent, you know, what kind of guy is Alex? And long story short, man, they offered me a football scholarship to play a position I never played before. I arrived on campus as a true freshman, fought, 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 graduated high school early and um, ended up starting the first game out the gate as a true freshman. As, as a what, in what back. position? Defensive uh, back? I play corner, yep. And you were a running back before that? Yep. So I come into – spring football and you know essentially get baptized by Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans so so when you the year you played freshman is that the year that Manziel won the Heisman it was a year right afterwards dang hey all right you know what I just did a quick google search of you are you still in this good a shape (laughs) that is one of like the first four pictures that's right on google no so, wonder you ran so fast. There's no fat on you. So just the, all there's muscle. another uh, there's another picture of me actually running the 40 yard dash that day, and I look like a a monster. I look a lot bigger on Google than I mean than I am in person. But the crazy thing is that after I graduate and I start going to job interviews or during my senior year, what do people do? They Google you. The first thing people found about me was a shirtless pi- a picture on the internet. So um, I'm at my Great. first job interview, and they're kind of like. When someone, you can tell when someone wants to ask you a question, but they don't. And I was like, I feel like there's another question y'all want to ask. And like, we do. There's a picture of you on the internet. And like, dude, you're like, you were jacked. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying I mean, to get we, that. I'm trying to get that picture, like pushed, pushed down in the nah, search bro, that is great. It's great content. Like the, you need to get that thing pushed <laughs> up, man, is what you need to do. So yeah, you know? play football at a I was around the Johnny Madness and everything else. That's wild. So you went, you left there into consulting. Is that kind of the, the basis or foundation for what you do today? Essentially. So I, I left that and my ministry background. Mm-hmm. So I, I left AM with an engineering degree, graduated magna cum laude, who does that being a football player from the engineering department. I went to work for an uh, oil and gas consulting firm. So I was doing power plant cutover transitions from you know one ownership to the next. Essentially, what those private equity groups were doing was the same exact thing I transitioned to in real estate. You know, buy an asset at this price, improve it, sell it at this price. So I kind of learned that on a bigger scale and then transition back into or into real estate. Um, so doing consulting there, went into real estate. I've been in ministry since I was 13, been speaking on public platforms since then. So that's kind of how all of that background kind of meshes together into what I'm doing right now. That's cool. When you got into real estate, were you just doing that on your own or did you kind of build a team to, to kind of do buy your, how many, you said in your bio that you guys, you know, you built about 340 units. What I did in real estate was I had met a guy in his backyard while I was playing football at AM. And turns out that I'm on the lake this night and I'm fishing in this guy's backyard and he walks out of this beautiful lakefront house. And um, it doesn't look like it belongs in Bryan College Station. And he's like seven feet tall, literally. And I'm thinking, oh, like this guy's like a retired NBA player or something. Like he's made it. I paddle across the lake just to say thank you. I said, hey, my name's Alex Caesar. I just want to say thank you for allowing us to come and fish in your yard. 
Well, that turned into a conversation. Robert Kiyosaki came up, Gary Keller came up, books that we had read, things we had in common. He gave me his phone number and two weeks later, I reached out. And that started a relationship in college. He called me uh, as I was at my first job a year later and said, hey, didn't have any children. Do you still want to start a business? I need someone to take over for me. I said yes and, and came back. My parents are like, I made it, you know, got the suit and tie job traveling across the country. Uh -huh. And they're like, you're going to go do what? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go do real estate. I'm going to manage property and, and buy property. So I came back to Bryan College Station and essentially worked my way up through the ranks. A year or two later, became the president of his company, started my own company, and he helped me get started. And so I was the president of an established real estate management company and a holding company. Uh, we had about 2,000 residents, 2,000 plus residents, uh, 800 plus units. And then we started a business together and I scaled that upward to where we were whenever I left. That's cool. And you still hold a real estate portfolio today? So I actually recently just sold uh, my portfolio back to him. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'll tell you the story about kind of how uh, we could dive into how I left the company and how all of that came to be into what I'm doing now. But um, I actually sold it back to him. That's crazy. Full circle. So did the guy yeah, play actually, in the NBA? He did not. He played okay. basketball at AM though. Got it. Amazing. Well, man, so he made his money in real estate. So give our audience, man, before we jump in today, like a little teaser of why you think culture is important and kind of, you know, I, and I know you got some entertaining stories too to kind of share, but, but why should they stay and listen? If you stay and listen, you will understand culture in a way you've never understood it before, potentially. The reason why culture matters is because culture, I call it the root of the fruit. What you experience in the organization, culture is the root of that. So if you want to experience better results within the organization, it starts with culture. Uh, I believe that success in a business is made or you make or break it on the foundation of organizational culture. I do it from a biblical angle. So you understand what culture is first. I start there having a collective understanding. You'll learn why it matters. 2021, 47 million Americans quit their jobs. 2019, 4,500 churches closed down. You'll learn why it matters. And then lastly, I'll teach you how it's created. So from vision, mission, purpose, core values, branding, team building, and authenticity are all of the different modules we can go into about how culture is created. We only got a half hour, so we better hurry up, guys. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's get into this thing, man. So let me just pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the mind, the person of Alex, and, 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 and just what you've done in his life to bring him here and to give him the knowledge and wisdom that he has to share with us. And uh, Lord, we do pray that you would bless this time, anoint this thank time. You, Lord. Uh, and that you you would uh, that many 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 kingdom uh, million dollar billion dollar kingdom businesses would be raised up uh, in this generation for your name's sake. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, dude, define culture. Yeah. So, what is culture? I have two different ways I want to I want to talk about culture. Number one, I believe that culture is a God given responsibility, um, and I'll tell you kind of more about that, but. Culture is a God-given responsibility for us to steward what we are placed in charge of. It started all the way back in the garden. He places Adam in the garden. He says, take care of it, cultivate it. That's kind of where we get the root of culture, which is care, to care for something. So the way I teach culture is it's three things, beliefs, behaviors, results. How do I influence what you believe that leads to how you behave that produces, produces the results that we experience within the organization, beliefs, behaviors, and results. That reminds me real quick of Ellis. Of, uh, we had a guest on a couple months ago. His, his, he broke down like Jesus uh, feeding 5,000. 
and he, he brought the example measure us manage us multiply god mm. like we are responsible like for cultivating the things he's charged us with but he's responsible for the growth but we should not Absolutely. anticipate growth to come from poor cultivation mm. yeah so it's a responsibility um, yeah. for me kind of the the epiphany happened you know being in real estate being a young president of a company and for me real estate was in a way, almost like breathing. I learned it. I studied it. I understood it. I was buying property faster than I could count. And you, you know, you have your spreadsheets and your ROI and your calculations, and you know, you plug that stuff in. You find the right properties and you do deals. Cash flow is somewhat predictable in real estate um, if you if you do it the right way. And obviously, there's contingencies, and we factor those things in. People are not as <laughs> predictable sometimes <laughs> as that spreadsheet. Uh, there's emotions involved. There's sometimes politics involved. There's organizational structure involved. So I had to figure out a way to systematically create culture environments for people the same way I did for cash flow and property. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, like, what got you? I know all this is important, but like, why is it important to you? What got you excited about this? So yes. It was working in that. Yeah, it was that environment. And for 30 years, my partner, you know, he's 30 plus years, my senior, he was just buying real estate. And then it turned into, it went from buying real estate to building a business. Mm -hmm. So it's like, we had a need for more employees. And then, you know, we grew the organization to 20 plus people, hundreds of vendors. Now you have to manage people. It's not just buy a property, cash flow a property. So he charged me with something that he had been trying to figure out for a long time, which was how do I communicate what's in my head to my people to where they understand it the way that I do? How do I get people to care about my stuff the way I care about my stuff? Mm. So he had this vision, these ideas in his head that were often kind of clear to him but not necessarily clear to the person at the bottom of the organizational chart. That's so that really was good, my man. I love, I love, how do you get people like that right there is enough to dive in of like, how do you get people on your team to care about what you care about? Right. As yep. a lead visionary and whatnot. So, so where do we start, man? Like that's, that's such a good point. I, I really, really like that. Like yeah, that's, so after, that's what we're solving for. For sure. So after getting into, um, you know, what is culture, why does it matter? Um, and then the how-to, how is it created? Like, well, how do we do this? How do we create an organization that people want to be a part of? How do we create workplace cultures that we crave? So number one, I dive into the vision. And you just talked, I heard you say visionary leadership. For me, I, I go back to Habakkuk chapter two. It says, and the Lord answered me. And he said, write the vision and make it plain upon tablets of stone. So that whoever reads it, may run with it for the vision is yet for an appointed time. If it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. So from there I used, and it was kind of, now it's methodical for me. I've figured out a system, but initially I'm like, how do I write a vision statement and everything else in my life? I use the Bible as a source. I'm thinking, why can't I use it for, for this also? So I started to dig and I found that. And from there I derived the five P's of vision. So number one vision must be personal to the organization. Habakkuk says, and the Lord answered me. 
It was a personal vision that God gave him about what his nation was experiencing during that time. Number two, it needs to be permanent. So many leaders make this mistake to where we have a vision in our heads, but we never communicate it to the people outside. We never write it down. That's the permanence of it. It's like faith for the fruition of an idea comes when you write it down. Mm-hmm. It's like, put some faith behind it, show you have a belief in it. And he says to Rebecca, write it on tablets of stone. You don't write stuff on stone that you don't believe in. So that's number two, it needs to be permanent. Number three, it needs to be practical. A lot of people make this mistake to where our vision statements are so cliche, so big to where it's like, what does that actually mean? For example, to be the best. You have to define what best means. So that means you own the the most property in this market, that you have the highest occupancy rate. So actually defining it to where there's practicality to what you're talking about. Number four is it needs to be purposeful. He says, whoever reads it can run with it. So a vision statement is a call to action. I've heard it. It prompts me towards progress. I can do something with this. I'm inspired by it. And the last P is that it needs to be patient. Mm. a visionary cell sees what shall be but we have to wake up and deal with what is i think td jake said that first and it's kind of like okay here's where we're going here's what the big vision looks like but how do we be faithful to today before we actually realize that 1000 properties or that 2000 units what do we do today how do we persevere for today so those are the five p's that i got from that and i've taken text from scripture like that and have been able to apply it to my business ventures. And it's just completely changed the way that I do business, changed the way that I see things. Um, but that's just a small example of kind of where we started in an organization and took biblical principles and applied it. When you think about like, so you've probably worked with a lot of, com- like several companies at this point. I mean, get like you say, your ideal avatar, you know, someone who has kind of mid-sized business, they're really, you yeah. know, they got teams that can mess stuff up. Like and I've worked with startups also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because like, a lot of things are unclear to the founder when they first start. Mm, so I come in and kind of that level of clarity. It's like, well, I want to do this and I'm working on this. And I'm like, all right, what's the vision? Where mm. are we going? Because what's going to happen is you're going to hire someone one day and they have to have a clear purpose, a clear Like, what am I doing? What are you hiring me for? Where are we going? So it works at all levels, but ideally, um, (laughs) I told this to someone today, to people, I hang around the people, a lot of people who do business well. And to those people, I'm just a vitamin. It's like, you have a well-functioning organization. Your culture is there. We want to keep it that way. So I'm a vitamin to them. Hey, it's management. Let's keep it going. Let's put some grease on the wheels. To organizations that are dysfunctional, I'm a painkiller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> you don't have to sell to those people. Cause it's like, yeah, I have a headache. I need that right now. Like absolutely what you're talking about. So different, it works at different levels, but I'm different things to different organizations. Yeah. So in your mind, so when you think about culture, like even, you know, the most top businesses you work with, how much is culture tied to the visionary or how, like, it, 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 is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Like where the culture is somewhat a formation of the, the vision, the original visionary. Yeah, absolutely. So that's not in itself a bad thing. It's a bad thing when it doesn't get transferred to everyone else. Okay. And I think that's what I see a lot is that a lot of times the vision dies with the visionary. Mm. And if you think about Jesus's ministry and how he was able to scale beyond him being physically on this earth, 
it was because he empowered other people. And that was kind of that model of scale and replication is that it can't die with you. You have to be able to, to effectively and clearly communicate to where other people can continue to push that vision forward. Because a lot of organizations do experience that. A lot of boomer businesses will now experience that, you know, the 60s, 70s, they, they close down versus continuing on because the only person with vision was a visionary. It has yeah. to be transferred on in, in throughout the organization. So you kind of made the point that, you know, we'll see culture different than we've ever seen it. So it's like, t talk to us about that. Like, what do you mean by that? For me, I see a lot of um, rhetoric about culture right now because it's trendy and it's cool. I think COVID probably shed a light on a lot of symptomatic issues that are derivatives of poor cultures. So it's like, everyone's like, all right, cool. We want that now. We want culture. And they don't know exactly what culture is they don't know exactly how culture is created so what do we do we try to copy other people so it's like well google has seemed to figure something out how they do it so we go and get the sleeping pods and then we go and get the foosball table but we don't have the same experiences that they had that led them to get those things we don't have the same reasoning behind why they have those things. So I always say that culture is taught, not bought. So I think a lot of organizations, when they realize that they are experiencing those symptoms of the culture sickness, it's kind of like, well, let's put a bandaid on it because they don't truly understand that culture is, it's not something that um, I can give you a framework for it. But if you don't continue to live that thing out, whenever I leave an organization, you float back to kind of where you were. And I think that's why culture is hard, hard sometimes because it requires that consistent effort, that consistent buy-in to be faithful to this is who we are, this is how we do business, this is what we believe, and then you have scenarios that with core values essentially that you kind of start to see people drift outside of those core values and it's so much easier to go, hmm, I'll let it slide hmm. versus addressing those we call them like the the snowflakes <laughs> that become the snowballs that knock your house off the hill. But up here, it's an easy fix. Hey, that's not who we are. We don't believe that. We don't behave that way. Simple conversation versus now that attitude, that um, sickness, that cancer has infiltrated the whole organization. And now it's a big problem. Yeah. And when we're not diligent, I think it's in Proverbs says to be diligent to know the state of your flock because riches are not forever and crowns don't endure into every generation. So it's like, you have to be diligent about your business, about what's going on within your organization to have lasting sustained success. This remind I mean, this is why I think it's so key defining this early on, because I mean, it's so true. Like if, if you've, to your point of this, I love that snowflake snowball thing. If you haven't written down what you say core values are or what your culture is, yeah. Then it's kind of like, how do I identify what's what doesn't like? Why doesn't that vibe? How do you know who fits? Right. And so I give you a great example of this, like what we've identified and we actually wrote this in this year to our company is like urgency is like the grace of all things for us. Like we want you to live and act and work with, with incredible urgency mm -hmm. because a lot of the issues that we've experienced on, on the real estate side of our business has been a, 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 as a result of a lack of urgency. And early on, like I couldn't figure out why 
some partnerships, some deals were struggling more than others until like someone get, I don't know where that word came from, but I just kind of, it was, it was clearly able to communicate like these folks do not act with the level of urgency, which is expected inside of our organization. Here's why we have issues. And so to your point now, I'm like, oh, I can, I, I have clear language. It's written yeah. down. And now I can spot that out. Like, dude, you just, you got, we got to, we got to move yeah. quick. Like there's, there's an urgency to that. And so to your point, you know, I didn't know, I felt it, but because it hadn't been spoken, because it wasn't written down, I couldn't identify it. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm just kind of saying, man, this, that's so key to know what those core values are, to have them written down because now you, it becomes much more, much more um, easy to identify those issues Absolutely. once that happens. Yeah. So the way that I teach core values, I have the three D's of designing core values. Number one, core values need to be decided. And I have ways about how you can decide what your core values are. But you have to figure out, like, what are my core values? From there, core values need to be defined. What does, for example, a lot of people want to say, you know, integrity. What does that mean? Define it. For me, that's one of my core values, to tell and live the truth, even if it hurts us. Mm. And then so decide, define, and then last but certainly not least, they have to be demonstrated. Because that provides that feedback loop of importance, like this is who we are, this is how we do things, to where values become value statements that turn into valued action within the organization. So decide, define, and then demonstrate. And at any point in time, uh, I, have a, I think Gary V said that um, hiring is guessing, firing is knowing. And sometimes mm. that's very hard to be as prompt when you realize like, oh, this person doesn't match our core values. They don't do things the way we do things. Even in the Bible, core values, you know, I think it was Paul writing in Galatians, he talks about core values and they, it was referred to as fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness. So, and he, and he said something, he says against such things, there is no law. So basically what it meant is as long as you operate within our core values, you stay within the right parameters, within the right behavior. Seth Godin said that people like us do things like this. Mm. So you have to identify like, this is who we are. This is how we operate. This is what we mean by integrity, urgency, passion, discipline. That way we all have a collective understanding. That's why I started with the definition first of what this means. So that way, when you pull someone in, you go, hey, we believe in operating with integrity. And we talked about integrity on your first day at work. And we said it means that we tell and live the truth, even if it hurts us. And then you did this. You weren't operating in integrity because you tried to cut corners and because you felt as though it may benefit us or, or you know, have a, a reverse effect if you didn't cut the corner or do it this way. Like, that's not how we operate. That way there are no excuses because you decided what it was, you defined it to them, and then you demonstrate and they, people see that happen. And that's where you start to earn trust through an organization is when you do what you say. You, you brought it real quick. You brought up um, Gary Vee and I'm glad you did because he's, I've been thinking about him as you've been talking and I wanted to know your take on this. I, I saw one time he was being asked, you know, Q and A and pretty much one business owner said, um, what you were alluding to at the beginning, how do you get people to buy into, you know, your product and your company and your smile lets me know, you know, where I'm going. And he's like, uh, give them half the business. Like that was his solution is like, you cannot expect anyone 
who works for you to be as passionate about what you are doing and what you are building. I just wonder what your like your thought on that is. I'm not saying Gary Vee is right or wrong. I just yeah. what's your take on that perspective? So for me, buy-in, uh, I'll give you a story. So whenever I was a freshman at Texas A&M, there was some change, a new head coach. Um, he was going into, I think, his second or third year. And he was still trying to foster internal buy-in. And I recognized something. So whenever we would play seven on seven, which was a team led, the coaches could not be there um, event. Whenever we played outside on defense, everyone would bend their knees. It, was, it wasn't tackle. It was touch football, essentially. We'd bend our knees, get in the tackling position, tag off. We'd run to the ball. We'd run our defensive plays. Everything went perfectly. Whenever we would actually have our seven on seven in the indoor facility, it was like herding cats and dogs. I'm like, and I'm a freshman, so I'm still trying to figure things out. But then I recognized something. When we were outside, the coach's office or offices were high enough to where they could look down on the field and they could see us. When we were in the bubble, the coaches couldn't see us. So a lot of times through in organizations, you have this kind of top down the top guy gets it, and as long as he's around, everyone else is walking the straight and narrow. The minute he's not there, it's going crazy. So for me, the buy-in thing kind of starts to go back to the vision and the mission of the organization. You find people who are passionate about that. You make them loyal to that. Like, here's what we're trying to accomplish. You find people that that kind of sparks. And then that way, you don't have to be that they believe in Alex so much, or it's about Gary V. It's about what we're trying to accomplish. When you find people who believe what you believe and who are passionate about what you're passionate about, you, do, you get a different level of urgency, a different level of intensity throughout the organization. Caveat that with no one will care about your stuff 100% the way that you care about your stuff. Sure. Um, but when you can get people to own that vision, to own that mission, to operate with the same core values, that's where you start to see that internal buy-in because they're passionate about that, not necessarily that leader. And that's when the vision outlives a visionary because it's like, okay, although Gary is not here anymore, we're still trying to accomplish X, Y, Z. Yeah, I mean, you talk a lot about like, you know, hire, hiring or not hiring from within. I think that is one of the strong points about hiring from within, you know, is like, People really get the vision. They're bought into the mission. And, you know, I think we've had a lot of success with that um, inside of our Kingdom REI company is like hiring from within because uh, or working from within because people, you know, people have already they, they joined our community to be a part of this yep. and now they want to help advance it. You know, when we were in ministry, you know, and we were building our college ministry, like we would pretty much hire the students that we discipled. Why? <laughs> because they got the vision. They, they were it. excited about it, you know, and so because that really is hard to replicate outside. I mean, and so I guess I'm curious if if people have an organization where they, they can't hire from within, like a real estate company, for example, mm -hmm. and they need to go hire an investor relations person or yep. director of operations, like how, how do you solve for that? Yeah, so I, I would give the same advice that Jethro gave Moses. So backstory in Exodus, I believe it's maybe chapter 18, you see that Moses essentially takes Jethro, his father-in-law, to kind of like a, a bring your dad to work day. And Jethro is observing Moses. And he's like, whoa, we, we have a, a serious problem here. 
And he's like, Moses, the way you are operating right now is a system for failure. You and the people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. And then he says, so that's the problem. He defines the problem. You're going to be tired. They're going to be sick and tired of you. Things will not go well for you doing it this way, which is he was doing everything himself. The lone judge for a huge and expanding nation of Israel. He says, I'm going to give you some advice. Find capable, God-fearing, and trustworthy men and appoint them as officials over hundreds, thousands, fifties, and tens. So that's kind of the model that I use when I'm, whenever I want to hire someone and bring them into an organization, the number one, I call it the three C's of hiring. Number one is competency. He says to find capable men. So it's like, are they competent enough to be able to do this job? Do they have the skill set required to do the job with excellence? Number two is character. He says, find God-fearing and trustworthy men. So what does that mean? Do they share common values? Do they match our values? So care, uh, competency, character, and then lastly, capacity. He says, appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. What does that mean? Not everyone can handle the same load. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're hiring, you have to make sure that you find the right person mm -hmm. and place them in the right seat within the organization. So it's like, if you're looking for a CEO personality, you have to make sure like maybe that person has that personality, but they're two years out from being able to have that role. So making sure that you match them with the right level of authority, because, you know, too much too soon can sometimes <laughs> kill <laughs> organizations. So uh, okay. making sure that they're competent, making sure that they match your values. And then lastly, making sure that the position that you put them in fits their current level of capacity. Dude, how many three C's, three D's, <laughs> do you have in your in your, a lot. In your arsenal? A lot. So I'm a I'm a guy who um one I, I just love the word of God, number one, but I want people to remember the word of God and not just have information. So one of my catchphrases is helping leaders go from Sunday morning information and inspiration to Monday morning implementation and application. So it's like, what's the information? Cool. Got it. How does that apply to me? How can I live that out? So those alliterations and those, you know, three C's, three D's. Yeah. What is that called? Alliteration? Is that the actual? Yeah, I think, I think word? that's the, I think that's the technical word, uh, yeah. alliterations. And I have some acronyms, yeah. um, but that's for the people who hear me. I want them to be able to remember it. That's good, man. So if I just go, if I've, didn't have those and it's maybe a D and then an E and then the F or something like they would probably forget it. But when I go to three C's, maybe they forget what two of the C's are or one of the C's, but they'll go, okay, three C's X is 18. Okay. Um, competency. Okay. Um, character. So that's why I do that. So to help people remember love five it. P's of vision. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah. where that comes from. That's great. No, I love it. Dude. It's really helpful. Today's been really helpful. Honestly, do you, do you continue to put out resources like this for folks like, man, okay, I, I want to learn more about this. I'm growing my organization. Uh, where, where is kind of a, an, an onboarding ramp for, yeah. for you? Absolutely. So Alex Caesar, S E Z E R.com. Um, there you'll find the culture catalyst course and program. Um, so that's, you know, paid obviously, but you can find a lot of free information, the three C's and the five D's and all that kinds of stuff. Um, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, 
active on those platforms. I took a three-year break from social media, but I'm back. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was focused on building a business, man. But this time you get to come along on the journey. So LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, um, Alex Caesar, S-E-Z-E-R, and then obviously alexcaesar.com. And uh, if you hear this and you know want to send me an email, it's alex at alexcaesar.com. I love you. Easy to remember. So. Alexcaesar.com. I told you, man, the culture king. Uh, really cool to hear your story, man. I, I love seeing other young guy like us, man, really trying to help yes, sir. businesses grow and build and do it with a kingdom lens. So uh, grateful for your partnership there, man. And, and guys, go check him out. Follow him on Instagram. I think wherever you're at, if you're starting or maybe you have a larger organization, uh, some of those things we learned about today about, man, having core values, writing those down, knowing, be able to identify that. I love that snowflake analogy, right? Is uh, Because I think that's all of our goal. Like we want to build an organization that outlasts Absolutely. us. Um, or, you know, even if you, you know, like you, you want to be able to get out of your organization at some point, right? Yeah. Like whether you sell point, it or, you know, continue you want to break. That's why exactly. this is so important, you know? And so how do you trust that you can step away or go on a vacation? So um, this is, this is so key. So Alex, thanks for pointing in our community today, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And um, man, keep, keep spreading the word of God, keep using those applications and showing people that you can do kingdom business and do business. Well, appreciate you, man. Uh, guys, yes, thanks for, uh, for your support. Uh, as always, screenshot this episode it would mean a lot to us. Post it on social media, tag us, let us know what you're enjoying. And if you've not yet uh, left a five-star review, go do that on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. And I will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Hey, just because the show's over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you're a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to the kingdomrei.com to learn about our mastermind. If you're interested in investing alongside me, in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes, then head to ellishammond.com to learn more about that. Cheers.